talking about chicken a la king. Mango and garbanzo tabbouleh. Real potatoes and vegetables. With roasted garlic and basil. Zucchini ziti. Granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today, this is a special one. It's a special one. We're live. He's here in my house. One of my new best friends, which is hard to say because it's hard to meet new best friends later in life. He's without fail my favorite food writer. He writes The Fodor's Guide for Los Angeles. He's written for BBC, Travel and Leisure, The Rob Report. For all my rich douchebags out there, LA Magazine. He is the co-creator of History Bites, the offshoot of this podcast where we deep dive the history of a specific food. He's one of my favorite dining partners, an expert on all things Italian, and the author of just one of the most stunningly beautiful cocktail books, Italy Cocktails, an elegant collection of over 100 recipes inspired by Italia. Please welcome... Mr. Paul Feinstein. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So happy to be here. Coming in hot. And very nice, by the way. New best friend. I mean, it's a high bar, and I, uh, I appreciate that I cleared it. It's, it's, Just uh, to be clear, ChatGPT did that whole intro. <laughs> I had no input whatsoever. I think I turned you on to ChatGPT, so I guess that's my fault. You did, you did. <laughs> um, that is all on you. So uh, we have a lot to talk about. Before we begin anything, let us get into your fridge. You right. guys can see Paul's... Fridge on my Instagram, at Stand Up Dan. Okay, Paul, uh, you have a pretty... <laughs> this is an insanely stocked fridge. This is, an ins- this is all takeout, it looks like, unless you reuse the takeout things for leftovers? No, they're not takeout. It's actually leftovers from restaurants. So all of those boxes in there are because I go to restaurants a lot, and uh, I usually am given like the menu, yeah. and you can't eat the menu. So yes. I always have boxes and boxes and boxes of leftovers. And so that's what you're looking at right now. Um, I will say, first of all, no one is as addicted to influencing uh, <laughs> as much as I am, as you are. Uh, we are both, we love the free stuff. And man, you get a lot of the free stuff. Because the restaurants, they just they ask you to come to try their food, tell them what you think. And I, that's one of the funnest things is when I get the invite, when I get the nod. Although I did go to your book release party, met a bunch of your friends who I'd never met before, and I realized that you just whore us all around. We're all on a list, and I, one of them was like, "Hey, did you get the did you get the invite to Gemma? Was that you?" I was like, "No, I didn't get Gemma. Who got Gemma?" You wheeled us around, and you use us as plus ones, and we love to be used for it. Well, look, I'm a, I'm I'm really busy, and uh, as are you, obviously, and we all are later in life, and. I love this opportunity that I get to really catch up with friends, um, and I get to use these restaurant invites as that opportunity. And I think it's a really nice way for me to stay connected with my entire friend group. And uh, I don't like it. I should be number one. All <laughs> well, the you're time. actually number two. Am I? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And your wife is number one. She gets first right of refusal, and you're usually the next well, guest. I think that's bullshit. <laughs> okay, shots fired, Marissa. Um, okay, so. A ton of leftovers from restaurants. And this then, is actually leftovers from Gemma, just FYI. Oh, really? Who yeah. went to Gemma with you? I went by myself. Why? Was I uh, not here? You weren't here. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I went through the whole list and no one was available. Wow, I would have So I dined by there. myself at the bar at Gemma and I have a lot of things to say, but we can continue with my fridge and then we can get back to it if you okay, want. Okay, I just need to roast a little more. Um, the bottom, very bottom of your fridge. 
Yes. The filter or whatever the fuck you call this thing on the bottom has like black oh, mold growing <laughs> no. out of it. Yeah, I got to clean that. It's disgusting. Oof. It is not good. I honestly I didn't I, even look at it. I didn't even notice. That's getting a huge ding. <laughs> like it looks it's horrifying. It looks like a muffler of a car. Is just like <laughs> at the bottom of your you know, like fridge. when you uh, there's like those portable air conditioners that have the things you can pull out, yes, and you can, like the, wash them off the accordion I, thing, yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> I need. To, clearly, I need to do that with my refrigerator, it hasn't uh, ever been done. Um, so yeah, good, um, good. this is very cute what you have on your top row of the fridge. You have the pudding things where you have the chocolate on the bottom on the top, and then the vanilla in the middle sandwiched in. It's very cute, it's very middle school. Is that um, for your child? or Those that... were for my child when he was sick and he had a, a very sore throat and it was hard to get him to eat anything. So we gave him that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So roast away if you want. That's fine. No. Well, do you he bring can, in your fucking sick he, child? He, I, he, I he, can take, he can take it. He's been through, <laughs> yeah. he's been through the ringer. He can take whatever you have to dish. <laughs> oh. oh, you have a sore throat, Leo? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, Leo's a And also all the little like... Uh, little containers that you see all over the place, those mm-hmm. little Tupperware containers, those are all his. I mean, this is an insane amount of Tupperware <laughs> in your fridge. So Gemma gave Like, me how many turtles menu. are going to die <laughs> because of this fridge? Um, you have Siggy's, the yogurt, which I'm a big fan of. It's very spackly. It's kind of like spackle. Um, but I see it peeking out there. Is that uh, is that influencing? Um, no, it's not influencing. But well, uh, you paid for something in this fridge? No, I didn't pay for it either. But I <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I need to you stole it. <laughs> well, kinda. Um, well, I didn't steal it, but I I just can't tell you where we get it from. But yeah. we give Leo, my son, yogurt every morning, and he eats it. All right, Paul. In the door here. Yeah, you've got some of the old school Mexican Coke. It's just way better than regular Coke. We don't, I don't drink a lot of soda, but every once in a while, it's just like I'm hungover or I just need bubbles and I hate, I hate LaCroix. Yeah. I hate all tonic water. I hate all soda water. I think it's awful, but I, you know, you need bubbles every once in a while. So Mexican Coke is, has real sugar, which is nice. LaCroix is a sponsor. We love LaCroix here at Green know. Eggs and Dan. <laughs> I've never understood. Thank it. you so will. much for your service, LaCroix. <laughs> Uh, this is a man who I know you has, love your pomplamoose and your okay. watermelon. Apparently, this is a man your... who will only hawk things that he gets free versions of. So you <laughs> ha- start. This is his way of trying to get on your mailing list, Lacroix. I mean, if you really look closely in this refrigerator and you go onto the like second to top shelf and you see in the back right, you can kind of see a Red Bull and a La Colombe. Behind that is. Just ro- actually go one below that as well is just rows and rows and rows of LaCroix that oh. my wife drinks. She loves it. Wait, but this isn't LaCroix. This is like I, f- I see some Japanese on Yeah, this. those are green teas, but behind those is just oh. nothing but LaCroix. You hide all the LaCroix in the yeah. back. Yeah. So you see on the third shelf, I have this Tupperware with the blue top. Yes. That guy? Oh. That's you, my sourdough starter. You got your sourdough yeah. starter. Yeah, you're a big bread nerd. Big bread nerd. Um, I love making it. I like making pizza. You've been the beneficiary of it many times. Yes, you make a fantastic pizza. Okay. I feel like you don't make me enough bread. My bread friends uh, will make me a loaf here and there. I don't think I've ever gotten a loaf from you. You have. In fact, I've baked one here. That's if true. Recall. That's true. I take it. <laughs> I take it back. I literally baked a bread in your Okay, li- next liquor, topic. In your liquor set. Next uh, topic. Uh... <laughs> Um, in the freezer here, you've got, uh, a lot of 
a lot of swag. I'm seeing a lot of influence swag, a lot of gelatos mm-hmm. from the gelato festival. Are, weren't you like a judge at the gelato festival or something? I was. I got to judge who had the best gelato in America. So gelato festival is not a good name because it was also like a location and it's also a competition. Right. So they, like, they need a little branding help, but they basically have a global gelato competition and they have a competition for all of Europe and all of America and then all of Asia, and then they bring them together for one big finale in Italy. And yeah. they, you know, and so I got to be the judge for America, which was fun. That's pretty amazing. It sounds like a fucking dream. It, it's not bad, especially for someone who doesn't really care that much about sweets or gelato. <laughs> you know, I'm not jealous of a lot of people's lives. I have a pretty great life. Um, I'm, life. I'm hashtag blessed. Um, but your life is pretty insane. Like, you get like hired by these tourist bureaus and you'll be like, oh, I'm going to Australia for two weeks at the Four Seasons because they just want to like show me what it's like. And then you're at the Four Seasons for two weeks while your poor wife, Marissa, <laughs> is basically a single mother. <laughs> she in essence is a sing- she's worse than a single mother because instead of having like a deadbeat husband that just like disappears, she has one who posts pictures of exciting far away uh places that he's at uh, exotic places while she's at home with the baby crying with a sore throat having uh custard um anyone who listens to this podcast if you want to sponsor a boarding school overseas for my child that we can send him to and then marissa can come with me on all of these trips so just hit me up i'm happy to do that no problem whatsoever i'll take care of the kid yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> He can, he can take. It. He can. He can handle it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then uh, you've got this nerdy Ezekiel bread. Which yes. I don't know what I think about this bread, man. You don't like, like it? I don't know. I it's think, not actually bread. I think something bothers me about it. The branding. The it's got a fucking white dove on it. Like it's God's gift. Like it's just fucking bread. And with the whole biblical name and everything, I don't know. There's something that bothers me to the core about Ezekiel bread, and I am not sure what it is. Well, it toasts really well. So we're Trader Joe's shoppers. Like, we buy almost everything from Trader Joe's. Uh-huh. Um, and Ezekiel bread has just gotten into the rotation because it's it toasts well. Mm. And so it gets moldy really quickly, so you have to keep it in the freezer, like most of their products do. Right. Like, but it toasts amazingly well. So I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of the Trader Joe's. Um, they have something that's called European style bread is what they call it. What is that? But it's close to like a like a seeded rye. Like those, you know, those German seeded ryes that are like thick as a brick. Yeah. And it's more seed than bread. Yes, I love those. <laughs> they have that at Trader Joe's. They have their version of it. And it's fucking great. If you're into that type of like super like, you know, like... I don't know. It's like a very adult bread. It kind of sits like a brick in your stomach, though. That's the only yeah. problem. It's like, yeah. But it is, yeah. I mean, I, man, I was in this place called Hohenems in Austria, and uh, th- we found this bakery that bakes that bread. But it was like a light version of it. Like, mm. a, like it w- didn't sit like a brick in my stomach. And I dream about this bread. Like, I'm going to go back to that town one day and just order that bread. It was so good. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't think Trader Joe's. Will- be close but you know, we'll try it out it's gonna be a sequel to jiro dreams of sushi as paul dreams of seated rye i went to jiro <laughs> my least favorite sushi experience of all time really yeah did you pay for jiro i paid for jiro so the restaurant itself is in a subway station and kind of hard to find and you go in there no one talks to you no one looks at you um you sit down by yourself 
I was by myself because it's $350, or at least it was $350 when I went. This is probably, I, this, oh my is bef- God. this is before I knew you, I think. And so I go and you're sort of like admonished for going slow. So you get right. a 20 course <laughs> omakase and the the second you put the, the the fish in your mouth, the next piece is in front of you and you have to like go as, so like for $350, it's a 30 minute like cold unfeeling very unwelcoming experience where the fish is great but every else every other thing about it is so miserable that it actually takes away like i will i would never go back and i would never recommend anyone go there oh my god that's how much i disliked that experience wow show me on the doll where jiro touched you (laughs) um i have no desire to go there for exactly the reasons you're saying and i've heard this numerous times that like it's the most expensive meal per minute that yeah, you can so get that's in the exactly world. right. It's the most expensive. Like meal you're program. in and out in 15 minutes. It was 30 and it was <laughs> miserable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. I'm calling bullshit on sushi chefs. I've had enough of this. This is, this is, this is a take. Go this on. This is a take. I've had enough of this Japanese. It takes me 75 years to be able to cut a piece of raw fish with a knife, and you have to study under the master, and all oh, the rice, if you, you need to cook the rice in the perfect way. It's like, they're fucking bullshitting us. There's surgeons in Japan. How, are they, how long does it take to become a surgeon in Japan? Does it take 300 years? Because I feel like cutting into a human is harder than cutting a fucking piece of yellowtail. And they're like, oh... He had he studied with a monk in the mountains for, for, for seven decades. He told his fake he, he killed his wife and his children because he could no longer take care of them. And he lived in the mountains, and all he had studied was how to cut. Show me what an orthopedic surgeon has to go through in Japan. I'm, I imagine the training is less than it is to cut a fucking piece of eel. And I just I'm calling bullshit on sushi chefs. I think you every anyone in the world can learn to be a sushi chef in three weeks. First of all, three weeks. Hot, you, hot, hot take. University of Phoenix <laughs> can teach you online. <laughs> They're bullshitting us. They're bamboozling us. So I think part of this opinion is based on how good sushi bar is and how much you love it. I do love sushi bar in LA and Austin. Yeah. So funny. I just literally, an email just popped up that seats for January just opened up. Yeah. I think part of your opinion opinion is based on that. He's Why? Because like, he's a white guy doing sushi, and he just decided to do it one day, and he's amazing <laughs> at it. <laughs> he pulled. He he. I, look, he 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 pulled the <laughs> the emperor had has no clothes, and the scra- the the sushi by scratch guy put the clothes back on. He so, let us know these are all naked. <laughs> they're naked emperors. It's it, by the way, and it's like the exact opposite of Jiro's place. It is the most fun, like yes. interactive sushi experience, and the fish is phenomenal. And it's great. Yeah, and it's, great. it's a bunch of like dudes who like I don't know, like you would think that they work in a hardware store. <laughs> yeah, they kind of look like hardware store guys. And they're just like, hey, what's going on? We're gonna make you some fish today. It's gonna be great. Your name's on a little fucking board. It's a hundred and twenty <laughs> bucks. And those guys learn how to make sushi. Uh, off of YouTube videos, okay? So anyway... So, so here's my other counter to what you're saying. <laughs> First of all, 100% you're right. It probably takes longer to become a sushi shokunin, is what they call them, the masters right. in Japan. It probably takes longer to become that than it does to become an orthopedic surgeon. Which I, is crazy. I would almost guarantee that you're right, which is crazy. <laughs> However, 
I love writing about. So there's this、uh, there's this word in Japanese called ikigai,、uh-huh. and it basically means like a reason for being or a reason for living. And so, what I love about this concept and really applies to Japan and also Italy to a, to a really large extent. This concept, this i this idea, which we don't really have a word in English for, is. That they are singularly focused on a thing and becoming the best at that thing,、mm-hmm. whether it's food or not. It could be an orthopedic surgeon. It could be you know a,、uh, an architect or whatever it is. But like they have this concept where it's like we are focused on a thing and being the best at that thing. And so I always say when I when I talk about food, people you know I'm a food writer and people say, oh, you probably only like Michelin guide restaurants and going to these fancy places. I'm like, no, I don't give, I don't care、opposite. about. I, it's the opposite. I only care about the. Guy or the girl who's doing the best version of a thing.、Yeah. So if that thing is a bacon wrapped hot dog outside the Hollywood Bowl, I just want the best version of that. I want the guy who cares the most about that、right. than I do anything else. So so while while I think it's hilarious that 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 sushi shokunin, it probably takes longer to become a master at that than it does to become an orthopedic surgeon, which you're 100 percent right about. I do appreciate the idea of like dedicating your entire life to this one simple thing in in order to please you. Which I think is, I, th- I just think it's like there's some nobility to that. I think it's beautiful. That concept、yes. is beautiful. It's ridiculous, but it's also like beautiful. And I I always compare Italy and Japan because they they sort of have the same concept when it comes to like being really really great at design and food and cars and like there's just the there's a lot of similarities between the two cultures. And I,、yeah. I, I usually look at that piece of it specifically. Interesting. I do think that culturally you couldn't find more different people. You know, well, so I, I don't think that's true either. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, so I'll give you my quick comparison. So I, the the two places I love the most in the world are Tokyo and Rome, and more broadly Japan and Italy. And、uh, I've thought about this a lot, and people are always like, "Why are those the two places that you like? They're so different from each other." And on the surface, hundred percent. But if you really start to break it down, and you look at the countries, so they're both vertically shaped countries that have a, a north with mountains and a south with beaches and islands, and and so geographically they're actually very similar. Uh, the second piece is that they、um, are both very regional countries.、Mm-hmm. So every region of Italy and every region of Japan has their own customs, their own cultures, their own food. Yeah, they're, they're, like, it's very, very different from place to place. And there was they were you know they were unified as a whole country very late, like eighteen hundreds, I think, for both. And then、uh, when you talk about this concept of ikigai, I think it applies to both countries equally, where they really obsess over their food and their and their their individual items, their produce, their their cheeses, their Whatever it may、yes. be, and design as well, and in、uh, art, and so like I think they that both cultures are very very into like making things beautiful. Yeah, and then when you talk about the people.、Um, Italy is like the warmest place. Like everyone's like, "Welcome, come in." Japan is also that way. The problem with Japan is that it's really hard from a language standpoint to break through. So once、right. you make a friend in Japan, like I've I've had the warmest, most loving experiences in the exact same way that I've had in Italy because、wow. I've had that breakthrough. Right.、Um, where this entire thing falls apart is that Japan is the most efficient and like. Like organized、right. and like amazingly like neat and tidy place in the world, and Italy's a disaster. Right. So right. that's where it falls apart. Right. But everything else, I find them to be very, very similar. That's so interesting.、Yeah. I never thought about it like that.、Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I just I was trying to find like the root of why those two places are my two favorite places. No, but I, it's true. They do have that kind of like they were all like little f- warring feudal、yeah. little sub countries. 
And then they were all kind of combined together. Yeah, I always tell this funny story about the bread in Tuscany and how terrible it is. Oh, the worst. Yeah, so it's this white bread that has no flavor and it's usually stale. And they're like, oh, you just put something on it. And I was like, well, why is your bread so bad? Like, why does nobody care? And yeah, like, Austria and is right around the corner. <laughs> France is right around the corner. By the way, a lot of the rest of Italy is right next door. And like, Tuscany in particular has this really shitty bread. And you're like, well, why is it so bad? And so I, I was in Tuscany a couple of years ago and I asked this guy, you know, he was in the food world. He's like, oh, you want to know why? I was like, yeah. He's like, because we hate the Venetians. I was like, what the hell does that mean? He's like, well, Venice, for years and years and years, they ruled the salt trade. And we fought with the Venetians. And so out of spite, we don't use salt in our bread. I was like, that's so stupid. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, that's just the way it goes. So like out of spite, they don't salt their bread because they hate the Venetians. Still out Still, of spite? to this day. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Vendetta. <laughs> Wow, vendetta. And their bread is just like cartoonishly bad. Cartoonishly bad. You're like, just put some mortadella on it or just put some, use it with olive oil. It's like, yeah, but you could make it better. Just add the salt. Just add the salt. Nope. The Venetians aren't fighting anymore. Yeah, they're They're all part of the same country. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what the Venetians are doing now? They're making little portraits of people in squares and and feeding pigeons. Like, leave them alone. Yeah, and they're about to drown. So, like, (laughs) they're about to drown. So, take their salt. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's get into your book yes which you wrote which is crazy because i remember i got my book deal uh for undercooked and then like shortly thereafter you were like hey i got a book deal too (laughs) i was like fuck you man let me have one thing but you put this together i was part of the process i would like to say because it was amazing you signed up to do this book italy cocktails and you suddenly uh, your home became a warehouse for any kind of Italian spirit. You were getting boxes sent to you every day and sending me pictures. And we were getting hammered researching for this book. But were you an Italian cocktail person before this whole book opportunity came up? Two uh, two things. One, I want to back up a little bit. You may not remember this, but it's a real full circle moment. So I just had uh, my like book launch party at this place called the Let's Go. It's this Italian disco club uh, in downtown LA. And the first person I talked to uh, to really get into the weeds of this book, because I really needed to like learn more about Amaro and like get in there, was the owner and bartender, this guy Lee Zaremba at the Let's Go, and you were with me the night I went there. Yes, to like learn from and like we got that really cool salted gin, and yeah. it was like we just got this like master class in Amaro, and so like that like started my whole journey, and it was really fun that I had this like one year later, full circle moment. So thank you for, you know, of course. having no, that, that with fun. me. Um, that salted gin was very fun. But you know what it isn't? It's not from Tuscany. It's not from Tuscany. <laughs> Get your Venetian salt out of my gin. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that very well. You want my cocktail-like origin story? Yeah. Okay, so my uh, father is a gay nightclub pioneer. <laughs> Did not see this going to this place okay so so my father and his business partner uh neither are gay but they're gay for money they are they uh they opened opened a gay nightclub in denver colorado in the late 70s because they saw a business opportunity and um obviously i was too young to be bartending back then but i um i grew up around this world of like the nightclub Mm -hmm. and when i went to college i i I knew that when i was going to come back home in the summers i i wanted to work and i i didn't know what i was doing so i asked my dad hey can i just work in the clubs and he said yes 
And so I got my bartending license while I was in college. Back then, it's, you know, you're really, really learning the basics. And it was, you know, really got me into cocktails a lot. And I would go home in the summer and next to the gay nightclub, they also own this like skinhead bar um, called, called the Skyline Cafe. Gotta cover all your bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and they were right next to each other and at two in the morning when they, and then at two in the morning when they let out, it was not pretty. It was like fights every night between the bikers and like, the, and, and the gay, and the gays that would come out. It was like, it was ugly, but. I love it. The, and there was and, just a Jewish puppet master running the whole thing. That's correct. And little, and thank God they didn't know, like, like I was, I was managing this play, the Skyline bartending and they didn't know I was Jewish, but they're, or they would order these drinks called white powers. They were shots of like Goldschlager, vodka, and cream. It was and and by the way, not surprising, the worst tippers in the world. Um so so anyway, so I got like I was just bartending, 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 and I was and in I went to school in DC and they also had a gay club and then like a hardcore black club where I would also I would work both of those places as well, bartending. Yeah. Um again, just like Total fish out of water in both places. You just work at a normal uh, fucking bar. No. They'll have to be like <laughs> randomly themed bars. That's right. Um, <laughs> the funny story about the about the the black club in DC is that the first night I worked there, and so DC, this is like 1997. Uh, at the time, DC was the murder capital of the country, and yes. where the club was was like this was the reason why. Like it was this area that was like giving us that that statistic. <laughs> right. So so I, I get to school and I call my dad. And I'm like, hey, can I work at one of the clubs? And he's like, yeah, call Ron at the Black Club. Um, he'll set you up. I was right. like, okay, Ron, he's a manager. I've met him before. So also uh, weird that he named the club the Black Club. <laughs> it, was called think- the, it was called Mir- the Mirage at the time. Okay, so the Mirage. So, so he's like, so I call Ron. Ron says, come down to the Mirage. Uh, we got ladies night. I was like, oh, cool. That'll be fun. Um, well, I don't know what that means, but all right. So I, so I get on the subway. And the walk from the subway to the club is like the murder capital of the world walk. Yeah. Like you have to go. Yeah. It's like, you're, have you seen The Wire? It's like walking through Amsterdam um, from the subway yeah. to the club. It's not fun. Yeah. So you get to the club and there's, you know, it's, it's like a bank vault door because it's, you know, insane, like metal detectors everywhere. And I knock on the door and out comes this guy. He's six foot five and 400 pounds and his name is world and he's the bouncer of the club yeah so world was like who are you what do you want i said ron told me i could work the lights at the club tonight he's like he's like all right just come in he's like i'm the only white person in this entire yes. place. there's no one else no chance of anyone who's like would just say that i'm here for any other reason right so you go into the club and like where the dj booth and the lighting area is sort of like on a balcony like looking down at the dance floor okay. of the club I don't know how to work the lights, and Ron was supposed to be there, but Ron was not there. He's not here tonight, so just figure it out. So you go up to the DJ booth, and the lighting booth, it's like a space shuttle panel with a thousand buttons and a joystick, and I don't know how to do anything. So I'm pushing every button to see what the lights do and how they work. I have no idea, but I got there early, so I was like, I'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. So slowly, the club starts to like get going. The DJ comes up. I ask him, hey, how do the lights work? He's like, no idea. Just you'll figure it out. It's like, okay. All these women start coming into the club. It's ladies' night. I still don't know what this means. And and it's building and it's building. And I'm still like trying to figure out the lights. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, and then I look behind me, and the behind me is like this DJ balcony area is pretty big. It's like the size of like a like a decent sized bedroom or whatever. Maybe, maybe like a living room. And all of a sudden there's all these like really jacked black guys just like hanging out. 
It's like, okay, whatever. I go back, I'm doing the lights, I'm trying to figure it out. And next thing I know, I look behind me and all these Jack Black guys are getting into costume. And getting into costume on ladies' night is looking at pornography and putting on a sock. And that's ladies' night. So all these guys are basically naked with a sock on and they are dancing for these women. And I am fucking this night up in every way, shape, and form. Like, I can't get the spotlight right. And they're coming up, these like giant jacked black guys naked coming up to like putting their hand on my shoulder like you fucked up my lights you ruined the night and i'm just like the whole thing is a disaster and everyone's yelling at me naked in front of me just like never seen bigger dicks in your life and it's just crazy (laughs) anyway the book is called italy cocktails (laughs) an elegant collection of over 100 recipes you want to know where i learned how to by italy crazy uh the next morning i call my father and he's just laughs on the phone he's like welcome to dc i was like oh thanks dad (sighs) never got paid for that night (laughs) marissa i'm starting to realize it's actually a blessing that he leaves you alone for weeks at a time um because i'm just trying to hawk this book and i got a history of ladies night of socks on dicks that's right. That so that's my origin that story for bartending and how I learned how to make cocktails and being in the clubs. Okay. So there you go. So this <laughs> <laughs> very classy book, uh, I will say, um, just based off of aesthetics, which this is my go-to gift for the holiday season, I bought like a lot of these and thank you. By uh, I will be giving them away. Just aesthetically, it is like the perfect size. It's like a nice like kind of handheld small book looks great on the coffee table it's also just like a beautiful cover with like this i don't know i can't explain it but it's it's like like, a die cut i think they call it yeah it's just fucking cool and it's this cool green i love it i'm not even like a i'm not a huge cocktail guy but like it's such a pretty book that it's like it's on my coffee table um but some of the things you know i am a, a big history buff and some of the interesting things the most interesting thing about this book to me is that Italy doesn't have a history of like cocktail culture like let's say America does or England does. Um but this is a kind of a new thing like we're talking early 2000s that they kind of had this renaissance of cocktails. However, almost every single cocktail, uh especially the classics, has Italian ingredients in it. Um they just were never a part of putting them together like they made the spackle the paint the sheetrock the this and that but they never actually built a house and now it's like they're building a house tell me about that because like that to me is is super interesting yeah so if you really go far far back like to ancient rome the ancient romans were kind of making what you would call a cocktail like they would combine wine with mead or honey and you know so they were sort of toying around but nothing really it's more of a sangria yeah that Ro- ancient romans were making <laughs> yeah that's basically right and so cut to like the 14 and 1500s uh there was a lot of experimentation with making liqueurs as medicine um so there were a lot of like botanicals and you know mints and things that they would be putting into these you know alcohol-based drinks that they'd be you know giving to people for headaches and whatever and stomach aches and the you know, byproduct was a nice buzz um, and the I eight- believe in that stuff, by the way. Yeah, so do I. I believe in the <laughs> medicinal powers of digestives. Like, if I have a upset stomach, a little Fernet Branca will do me good. I don't and know if it actually works, but it feels nice. So there's actually no scientific basis for any of it. Um, Wait, hold on. No, I'm going to push back on okay, that. Okay, go on. I learned from Dr. Gabay um, that there's four things 
that will release this is going to sound gross, but release your sphincters. And by sphincters, I mean like, you know, there's a sphincter on top of your stomach. There's a sphincter on the bottom of your stomach connecting your stomach to your small intestine. And then there's obviously your butt and stuff like that. But, however, what settles a stomach, according to Dr. Gabay, who's okay. a plastic surgeon, so he knows about stomach. He, he knows about stuff? He knows about making stomachs smaller. He does know that. Um, so he's got a bird's eye view. <laughs> but <laughs> apparently what settles a stomach is loosening those sphincters is okay. like loosening that kind of tough grip on it and he told me there's four th- things that will do that chocolate alcohol licorice and i think coffee um are the four things that will loosen your sphincter so i don't know maybe it's just the alcohol effect of it that that does it i don't know about the herbs and stuff but i love to i love to believe that it does something so there's some science to some of it but basically you know you look at aperitifs and digestives and you a lot of times find the same aperitif is what you have before the meal digestive is after people mess that up so much do they really yeah i always feel like oh let's start with a digestive i'm like i wonder if it's because aperitif kind of sounds like after yeah it sounds like après aperitif après like yeah you like, have that after. Ski, like you have it after it's like, kind of how i feel about the word nonfiction. Nonfiction should be not true <laughs> <laughs> Nonfiction should be not true. Fiction should be true. That's what those words should be. I love that. That's a funny thing. Um, so I think that maybe that's the sort of, that's why people may be screwed up. But either way, like there are a lot of the same things on both lists of aperitifs and digestifs. And you're yeah. like, wait a minute, I thought this one was supposed to, you know, get me hungry. And the other one was supposed to settle my stomach. It's like, why are they both on the same list? I'm just like, just go with it. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's more cultural than anything else. Yeah. But um, so basically what happened in Italy was... You had all of these Italians making really interesting liqueurs. So in the 1800s, it was, you know, they're making Fernet Branca and uh, vermouth was invented and Campari and a little bit later Aperol. And so there were bitters being made. And, and these were, were all in initially standalone things. Yeah, like you would drink them either neat or a little bit of ice if mm-hmm. you could find ice, um, which was hard to do at the time, or with a little bit of soda water. And that was basically it. Yeah. And the uh, ingredients, like you mentioned, like you can't make a martini without vermouth. I mean, you can, but like traditionally speaking, and you can't. And vermouth is Italian. And so I always, I, I give a little bit of leeway to like what makes an Italian cocktail using Italian ingredients. But mm-hmm. what happened in Italy was that they were making all of these ingredients and they were shipping them all over the world and everyone was using them to make cocktails. And it was fascinating. And they didn't really even do that because the drinking culture in Italy was you would have an aperitif, which was usually just I don't know, uh, just like a bitter or something. Or basically a drink to get your stomach moving. Like everything with Italy is all about food. So it's like, you're going to drink this and have some salty snacks that get you prepared to eat dinner. Yeah. And when you're at dinner, you drink wine. And then after you drink that wine and you eat that food, you need something to settle your stomach. And so you have a digestive. Yeah. And that was sort of the entire drinking culture for a really long time. Now, there were some other things that happened. Like there was a there was a disco culture that happened in Italy where they basically took like the movie cocktail and were flipping bottles and, and really drinking sugary cocktails. Mm. And it was, but it was like a, that was like a club scene thing. And you didn't see cocktail bars really anywhere in Italy outside of the hotels. And so if you go past World War II, Italy had this tourism boom. And so the hotels of Italy really catered to tourists and they were making real traditional cocktails because it was all Americans and Brits and the French and they were coming to these, you know, they're coming to Rome and they were coming to Venice and they were coming to Milan and they needed a place to drink. Now, there were a couple exceptions. There was this place called Barbasso in Milan, which is kind of 
they like to credit themselves for like creating the aperitivo hour. Mm. Um, and they also invented a bunch of drinks like the Negroni Spagliato. And then there was like Harry's Bar in Venice where, you know, Hemingway would hang out and he invented a couple of drinks, which are actually in the book. And but for the most part, it was really just the hotels and tourists would go to those hotels and they would drink cocktails. And the mm-hmm. average Italian just didn't do that. That just wasn't a thing. Again, it was aperitif, wine, digestif. That's it. So basically, in the late aughts, there's a group of Italian guys who came home. That means 2000s? Yeah, like 2008, 2009, This aughts words bothers me. I know, I'm sorry. I I don't like it. I know you don't like it. Um, (laughs) So basically, 2008, 9, 10, big recession happens. And if you were a big, like, cocktail tourist in the world, like you were going to Paris or London or New York or Hong Kong or Singapore, you would really notice, if you paid close attention, why are all these bartenders Italian? And the answer is because they didn't have these places at home. Mm. I mean, they could go to the hotels, but there's only so many hotels that, you know, have these classic cocktail programs. And so there was a group of guys who came home basically during the recession and they looked around and they said, where the hell are we going to drink? I don't want to go to the hotels where all the tourists are going. And they decided to start a movement. It's called the Jerry Thomas Project, where they they basically paid homage to this uh, famous bartender named Jerry Thomas from basically the beginning of the 20th century. And they designed an entire cocktail program around these classic drinks and how to really how, how to really create a classic cocktail program. Mm. They created a school. They built the first like speakeasy in Italy. And this is in Rome and it's still there today. It's called the Jerry Thomas Speakeasy. And little by little, all these bartenders started like flocking to their seminars and they invited people from all over the world to come in and speak and teach and And slowly but surely, cocktail bars started popping up all over Italy. Mm -hmm. And so for the last 10 years, you've seen this movement where every single town, obviously every single major city, but every town even has like a really good, interesting, classic cocktail bar. Mm -hmm. And it's really credit to these guys for like starting this movement. And yeah, and it's really changed the way Italians are drinking in, in, in really profound ways. And not only that, there's now programs in Italy where you can like pair drinks with dinner and it's like crazy to an Italian be like wait what yeah. are you talking about we drink wine but there's now it's starting to like become a thing where it's not just an aperitif and a digestive and not only not just a digestive but also you know the espresso martini is the most popular drink in the world right now it's like oh yeah. we don't want to we don't want to come down we want to go up like because we're going out after dinner yeah, you know so a, there, so it's really changed i've read a very funny meme that was like an espresso martini is a red bull vodka that studied abroad for a year that can't so stop funny. talking about oh, it man that's so good <laughs> that's so funny so i'm a huge negroni drinker and negroni is probably i mean obviously now it's the espresso martini is probably the most uh, uh popular italian cocktail out there but the negroni is probably a close second um and is there anything in- interesting about the history of the Negroni? Um, um, kind of. I mean, so the Negroni was basically created, it was created in Florence, um, and I'm the year, I'm blanking at the moment, but it was, uh, I think it was like, ni- yeah, it was, sorry, it was 1919, so it just had the 100 year anniversary um, a few years ago. Oh, and, really? 1919? So yeah. World War One ends, and they're like, we need to get real fucked up. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> so basically there's this guy, his name was Count Negroni. The best count since Count Chocula. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> like the Earl of Sandwich, like Count Chocula, Count Negroni. <laughs> okay. So Count Negroni would go to this bar and he would order his Americano. I'm going to be is, Count Negroni for every Halloween from now on, right, by the way. Be Count Negroni for every Halloween. I don't know what that costume would look like. What are you going to do? Just fucking drink Negronis at home alone. I'd be like, I'm Count Negroni. And the kids go, trick or treat. And just open the door all hammered. Count Here, Negroni. Here's open. a bottle of Campari. Yeah. Go open, drink. Open your mouth, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Just a hose of Negroni. <laughs> ah. 
<laughs> anyway. Okay, so he would order his Americano, which was not strong enough. What's and an Americano? So Americano is Campari vermouth soda water Okay. Um, on ice. And so he would complain to the bartender. And the bartender was like, all right, I got you. And so he replaced the soda water with gin, mm. uh, put an orange wedge in there, and named it after the count. Said, this is the Negroni. And so that's where it started. Interesting. The guy just wanted a heavier drink. He just wanted a drink that he could get drunk on. You know, I think I should probably... So it's funny. I went out the other night and I had two Negroni... And you can't really have a third Negroni. It's too fucking strong. And it might be good to switch to Americanos. Yeah, I mean, it's one less alcohol. So, yeah. And one less very hard alcohol. I mean, because Campari and Vermouth are not that strong by themselves. But you what? throw the gin in there and it gets up there. Campari, I think I remember reading this, that it used to get the red color from like, what was it? Some, it was some a, it was animal called, product. It was called a cochineal beetle. Oh, it's a beetle. Yeah, right. A beetle, yeah. <laughs> Now, I don't know if they mushed it up and that's how they got... I don't actually know the process that they used, but they used the Beatles red... Imagine they dried the fuck out of it yeah, and they, they pulverized they, they, it. Yeah, and they used that red dye to get the color. They don't do that anymore. It's some chemical that's probably not good for you either, but... I would love to... If you can get a vintage bottle that's made with the Beetle, that it's would kind be of exist. so cool. Yeah, it would be very cool. Yeah. It's probably a slightly different hue of red, but it's probably really... Cl- I, bet, I bet they have scientists that, like made it really close. Oh, my God. I'm yeah. looking, That's literally the first thing I'm looking up after we get off. Get a cock- can I get a cocktail? campari bottle not vegan not vegan that definitely campari. not vegan no you can't no. have it sorry vegans <laughs> sorry vegans <laughs> stop trying to take all our fun away we want to drink beetle juice <laughs> um fat and figs you can't amazing well again i'm very proud of you thank you and uh this book is so cool and so awesome and so pretty and like after having gone through this process myself, my yours this is like it's like an adult picture book. <laughs> like the pictures are so great. And uh, well, I so I, I I don't know if I don't know how you feel about this, but I hate cookbooks that don't, don't have, have a pictures. photo of every single recipe. A hundred percent. So I refused to do so. Like I had to cut fifty recipes because I I I had I submitted a five hundred page book and this one's four hundred pages. But I just didn't want to cut no way anything without a photo. I just That's crazy. I, so you everything won't find a recipe. A every single recipe has a photo. No way. Yeah, you won't find one without it. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, just I, it's it's like my biggest pet peeve of cookbooks. Like I'll never make that recipe because I just want to see what it looks like. Yeah, first. yeah. That's awesome. Guys, vintage Campari is a thing. They stopped using the Beatles as dye in 2006, so the bottles are actually pretty accessible. I find them ranging anywhere from 100 bucks to 500 bucks for a bottle from the 1970s. So, like, you know, Christmas is coming up, and you know how the song goes. All I want for Christmas is Campari that is infused with the pulverized insides of Beatles. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
happy price, price line. All right, we're going to get to the questions that I ask Great. every guest, starting with earliest food memory. Okay, so I think my earliest food memory, at least the one that's really stuck with me, is so my parents are divorced and they got. They. Uh, it's a bummer one. No, it's okay. It's a bummer it's not one. A bummer one. They, they probably split when I was one. Um, and we would get, my brother and I would go to my father's house on weekends. And my father was a really adventurous eater and I was not. So he would have like tabbouleh in the fridge and I would call it blood and snot because I thought it was so gross. And, mm-hmm. um, but he, that does sound like a name of a hipster bar, by the way. Blood and snot. Go to blood and snot tonight. Always service to Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not that appetizing. Um, and he would because I like I have a I have a bad food memory and a good one that's related to the same thing. Like yeah. the first, so he he took my brother and I to McDonald's and he gave me a cheeseburger and I didn't, at the time I I was a really bad eater and I only liked things that were plain. And the McDonald's cheeseburger came with meat, cheese, I think pickles and ketchup. Mm. And because the pickles and the ketchup were on there, I thought I would never eat a cheeseburger ever again in my entire life. I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever had. I hated it. It was gross. I just, I wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. And it like scarred me from cheeseburgers for a really, really long time. I didn't eat another cheeseburger until I was like 17 years old which is the whole weird thing. So because of that, he had to like figure out like how to feed me. And he made this fettuccine Alfredo that I, to this day, will still make. And it was so simple and good and lovely. Mm. And so that's, I think that's my, I think that's my first real food memory. That's a fun one. Yeah. It's funny. I do have, I have a really distinct fettuccine Alfredo memory as well. From just when I was a kid, this place that we used to go to, uh, there's something about, I, I don't know if that, that hits, that hits kids really nicely. Yeah, it's really good. It's really it's just good. cheese butter and noodles. I mean, is it's it, like a better version of butter noodles. Is is fettuccine Alfredo a legit thing or is it like an American invention? So I'm going to butcher this. It's actually a real Italian thing, but there's like a dispute over the history of it and like that there's a, there, there is a version that was created in Italy and there's a version that was created in America and they mm-hmm. kind of fight over who did it first. And I, I'm, I'm, I, I just don't know it. I, I don't like to say things I don't 100% know the history of, and yeah. I don't remember what it is, but there is an Italian fettuccine Alfredo that from Italy mm. that came first, I believe. It's probably way less cheesy than the American one. Well, it's probably, it's less buttery. The American one has ranch dressing in it, too. <laughs> that's how they... <laughs> that's, that's the main difference. <laughs> it's ranch dressing, and for it to be a true fettuccine Alfredo, it has to be served in a uh, Hulk Hogan bowl. Maybe it has mayo in it. It's got to have mayo. <laughs> it's got to have mayo. No, and it has to have like uh, some sort of uh, Crisco around the bowl. You can do a, a Crisco bowl. And wood pulp Parmesan. <laughs> yeah. What if you serve it in a bowl made of Crisco? Like how they do like the bread bowl? It's like a Crisco bowl. <laughs> um, this is the unhealthiest dish of all time, but it is delicious. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just use the same word for that beautifully executed dish in italy yeah it's a fettuccine alfredo Alfredo. it's like how fucking starbucks just like took the macchiato and was like no this is a macchiato it's a fucking uh, big sweet uh, big gulp with coffee by the way if you don't know what that is dan did a one of his podcasts i don't remember who it was with but he did a great job of laying out like the five different types of Italian coffees that was yeah. just like, oh, it's this, 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 and this. Yeah. I was like, oh, thanks, Dan. That was really actually very <laughs> helpful. Thank you. <laughs> um, so go back and listen to any of his podcasts because there's one of them in there that he talks about it. 
Uh, you know, it's funny though. I, we've been we've been singing Italy's praises. I'm gonna you're gonna shit on it. I I didn't want to use you know me. I don't like oh right you don't like scatological that kind of yeah. But I'm gonna take a big steamy dump on Italy. Okay. Italy started espresso culture, and my main issue with Italy food wise, which is gonna lead to the espresso thing, and the reason why I think that Italian food in America is better than Italian food in Italy, is because. I think that Italians are way too steeped in tradition, and they're so dogmatic about everything. You can't mix this semolina with that. You can't do this. Not in this season. You can't do that. Like, they're so, you can't do anything. And then you come to America where it's like, no, everything's possible. We can do whatever the fuck we want. And I think that American pasta game and American coffee game has gotten better than Italy's. I think Italy is still kind of stuck in their, like, those big copper, you know, espresso machines that you see. And I don't think that they have the same finesse as... I think coffee culture got way past Italy. Even though, yes, the best machines are, like, La Marzocco still coming out of Italy and stuff. But I do think that... this podcast. Yeah. But I do think that, like, you know, America, Australia, so many countries' coffee culture is, like... Leaps and bounds beyond Italy's. All right, I'll say a couple things to that. First is another reason why Italy and Japan are so similar. Very much the same thing. You know how much I love a gross generalization. Uh, There are many, many chefs in Italy that are doing unbelievable things that are not steeped in tradition. Or they were, but they've changed and they've fused and they do a bunch of cool shit. So it's not, yes, the gross majority of, uh, of practitioners in the food world probably adhere to to tradition a little too much. And I think you're right. I think it's, you know, we have this conversation a lot about how much we love like the fusion of different cultures and how that brings about new fun things and changes. But Italy's also really funny because there's this funny um, story about Neapolitan pizza. It's actually, I mean, it's not really a story. It's just, it's the truth. So Neapolitan pizza, like every single product in Italy has a consortium. You know, there's a consortium for vermouth. There's a consortium for... What does uh, consortium mean? I don't know. It just means a group of companies that come together and say, this thing is this thing. Oh, right. Okay, so like so right. like uh, balsamic vinegar is from Modena. So if it's not... So there's a consortium that says, right. this is... You can only do this here. It's like an edict. Yes. It's like, yes, it has to be Trebbiano grapes. It has grapes. to have these... Yeah, it has to have these ingredients. It has to have this way of processing yeah. it. You know, extra virgin olive oil has a thing. And yeah. Parmigiano has a thing. And, and so everyone... There's a consortium for everything. So yeah. there's also a consortium for uh, traditional Neapolitan pizza. Yeah. And it's the funniest thing because you think about a Neapolitan pizza, right? You have... Flatbreads that were invented in Egypt. You have tomatoes that are from Peru. You have buffalo mozzarella that comes from India, and you have uh, and you have then you have the wheat, so the flour and the flour. They say it has to be double zero flour, but Neapolitan pizza was invented in like the late eighteen hundreds. Double zero flour wasn't invented till like fifty years ago. So you, when you say it's oh, it has to be authentic. Well, what are we talking about? Like right. you're talking about you're talking about all these different cultures that came together to create this beautiful fusion dish called pizza, mm-hmm. and none of it's from here, and none of it was from this time, and you're calling it quote uh, authentic, but none of it matters. It's just right. like a, it's this weird label that has no meaning. It's like it's like my biggest bone that I pick with the entire food world when people get really siloed into oh, only so certain people can cook certain things, and oh, it has has to be a certain way and i agree with you with your point about italy in the, in this respect i think it's 
nonsense and bringing cultures together through food is the best way to bring cultures together. Yeah, I think one of the more interesting dishes that you and I have had recently, we were at dinner with our friend Phil Rosenthal at Pisha Palace. And the pastas that this guy is making, Indian dude, who's making these like fucking amazing pastas, handmade pastas with like Indian inspired sauces. So like a like a penne tikka masala type thing. It's everything I want in a restaurant <laughs> yeah. from an experimentation and standpoint, and it's great. And they're so delicious they're and so, so great. Delicious. And it's this is the only country where that could ever happen. That's right. It's fantastic. Um, so, uh, okay. Wow. That was, wow, that was, a that long, was quite that was a, a fucking tangent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, death row meal. Um, let's think of a reason you're on death row. You uh, go to your publishers. You look at the final version of the book and you see that there's actually three recipes that don't have a picture and you say polly want a picture <laughs> and you take the book and you smash it on top of your editor's head uh editor <laughs> dies and uh, now you're on death row what is your death row meal okay you, you're gonna you, you might like this one so i've thought about this i've been listening to your podcast a lot and i've been thinking about this a lot and my answer is sort of changed in my head a lot but really what i want it to be mm. is I want to like give Jiro a drug mm. that makes him like personable and happy. Okay. And like and I want him flown in to my to my prison cell and I want him to do not a 20 course, I want him to do like a 60 course omakase where he's talking to me and he's laughing and it's so fun and I have like friends around me and everyone's eating and it's like the longest fucking omakase of your life where like you almost die from like your stomach exploding from eating too much that's what I want my death row meal to be wow yeah so this death row meal is very intricate because it requires us to tranquilize Jiro that's right and then he wakes up and we put a boatload of Zoloft in his mouth that's right And then we bring him to the prison. I'm already convicted. So, like, if I do all this other stuff to Jiro, yeah. it's like, you know, whatever. That's a great one. Yeah, there you go. Best high-end meal you've ever had. All right. Um, ooh, I've had a lot. Yeah. God, I'm trying to think by country. I'm trying to think of what yours would be. Oh, man. Well, can I give you a, a, another sort of long story? Sure. Yes. So, okay. in 2009 <laughs> or eight or nine, I was by myself in, in Rome in this area called Trastevere, which is this like beautiful cobblestone like street on the southwest side of the city on the on the west side of the river and i'm just looking for dinner and i'm by myself and it's like kind of the unsung it's like the brooklyn of rome let's yeah it's, it's very cool yeah. and like it just feels it, this yeah. is what you want italy to be right yeah. um and i just pop into some random restaurant and i uh, look at the menu and I, you know I'm, I'm just trying trying new things and cacio e pepe is on the menu and it's the first time i'd ever seen it and I was like, all right, fuck it, I'll try it. And just cheese and pepper. How you know? How bad could it possibly be? And I eat it, and it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the restaurant is. You asked me the name of it, I, I don't know. But I'm obsessed. I'm just like, what? What am I eating right now? I'm just, I, 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 I like my brain exploded. I come back to LA, and every time I see it on a menu, I order it. Mm. And every time I order it, it comes back as butter noodles. Yeah, and it's awful. And yeah. I'm just like, no, this isn't it. How do I find it? I try to make it. I can't figure it out. And I'm just like on this odyssey for years. And no one's doing it right. No one makes it good. For and the record, uh, a proper cacio pepe is not supposed to have butter. It's just supposed to have pecorino cheese, which is a sheep's milk cheese, which is very salty and funky. And it's a real funky pasta when yeah. done correctly. It's really good. Yeah. And I'm just like, 
I'm missing out. I can't figure it out. And like every time I'm in a restaurant with my wife, she's like, stop ordering it. You're not going to like it. And I just, but I have this. <laughs> it's like, don't do that thing again where you start pounding your fist on the table saying, no butter. And you ruin our night. So, so cut to almost 10 years later. And my wife and I are in Rome. And uh, we just come from a wedding in Greece and we are in Tristevere and we're walking around. She's like, here it is. This is the moment. We're going to find you this Cacio e Pepe. And we literally see a restaurant and it's called, the restaurant's name was Cacio e Pepe. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, let's just go here. I was like, oh no. Yeah. It's not going to be good. <laughs> and it comes out and she tries it first and she's like, oh, it's really good. Because it was obviously the best version she had ever had. Yeah. Because every version up to that point was just butter noodles and crappy. Yeah. And I take a bite. I'm just like, throw my fork down. I'm like, no, that is not it. <laughs> Paul, you're ruining our trip to Italy. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> All I wanted was our anniversary to be special. And you you just keep flipping plates. I threw the table. I threw the wine. I'm like, no, it's not right. So um, so I ask my Airbnb hostess, uh, like, where do I, what am I doing wrong? And she's like, oh. And she, like, worked in the food world. And so she's like, oh, you, know, you got to go to this place called Da Felice, Da Testaccio. And Testaccio is a, re, is, a, is a neighborhood in Rome. And uh, Da Felice is the name of the restaurant in this neighborhood. And it's this fine dining Italian restaurant. And uh, two of our friends from the wedding were also in town. So we decided to go. Like, we made a reservation. The earliest we could go was like 10 o'clock. So we're basically hammered on drinking wine. Our aperitivo hour went very long. And we go to this restaurant and we order the Amatriciana, we order the Cacio e Pepe, and they come to the table, and they're mixing the Cacio e Pepe table side, and they serve it up, and we all take a bite at the same time, and everyone knows I've been on this odyssey, and everyone takes a bite, and they're like, oh, that's what it's supposed to taste like, and it's just like, everyone just like collapses in their chair, and we're so happy, because it was like the greatest version you could ever have. Really? Yeah, it's so good. Whoa. And by the way, also the best tiramisu. You'll ever have that was a saga yeah and it was like it's like a, a it's like a white tablecloth spot it's like you know i've had tons of like i'm imagining really- you tell you've told this story at couples therapy and <laughs> just trying to get the therapist on board for, with you and he's like uh, no paul you paul, don't understand paul, you have to listen to marissa <laughs> you here don't understand. paul it's, not good it's just butter paul <laughs> it's not just butter you flip the table to the therapist like why is there even a table in here um you know it's funny i think I had a very, very fine cacio e pepe in Trastevere as well, but it was at this. It was at this restaurant. I wonder if you know it. They serve the pastas in like the the pan that they like mix it up in. They serve mm. it in the pans. Oh no, I don't know. There's tons of really, really good ones in Rome, obviously because it's their that's their pasta. Um, you know, it's really and I, I I do love this chef, so I hope he doesn't get offended if he's listening but i went to mother wolf recently and you know evan funky is is the authority on italian pasta roman um, specifically roman pasta yeah. especially at mother wolf and um they have butter in their cacio pepe mm-hmm. and i asked the waiter I, I was like i hate to paul feinstein on you guys but is there butter in this cacio pepe and he was like um let me check and he goes and checks he's like yeah um chef says that depending on the weather like sometimes he likes to add a little butter to like it, it enhances the flavor and right away i started texting frank Prisanzano, the chef in uh in new york i was like frank is there any case of like adding a little butter to cacio pe- pepe to like to you know compensate for something he's like fuck no it is not authentic it's bullshit they're lying to you <laughs> yeah, i uh <laughs> 
I'll defend Evan. I think he's a, I think he's a fabulous chef. I think he's very dogmatic about what he does, which is strange why he uses butter. Because like I actually sent his cacio e pepe back once because you know, I would tilt like I tilted the plate and you could just see the butter just like running down yeah. the plate. And he was there that night and he came down like what's the, what what happened? What's the problem? I was like I was like Evan, look, I mean this is this like there's a pool of butter in your cacio e pepe. And he just said let me remake it for you and he did and it came back out and it was great. But like. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know why. You know why I think they do it? I mean, this is my cynical take. It's easier. Pecorino is a lot more expensive than fucking butter. It is also that. And you need a shit ton of it. Yes, you do. Um, And it's very labor intensive to shred it really finely. Yeah. So, yeah. And maybe that's why. I think the butter just like makes half of the amount go longer. But then shame on them. Yeah. I mean, because it's not as good. But that's the thing. A lot of people, when they have a real cacio of pepe, it's because it's so funky. It's so fucking funky and it's like you know i love it but it's like it, it's like a foot oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking yeah, yeah it's like gorgonzola oh, yeah. funky and that's what makes it delicious but i do think in america the butter one probably mellows it out a little bit too. yeah i think so. i think you're right the way i like to make it is i do a 75 percent pecorino and a 25 percent like really aged parmigiano yeah shaved really finely as well because it gives it a tiny little nuttiness to it which i really really like yeah it's um, nice it creams up really well the uh next book that paul does is going to be called a tiny little nuttiness <laughs> and the subtitle is it creams up really well <laughs> best low-end meal you've ever had <laughs> best, uh the best low-end meal. by the way in my opinion a cacio pepe should be the best low-end meal you've ever had well this was a very expensive cacio it's pepe, a humble so. dish yeah, it is a humble dish but it wasn't cheap uh okay the best low-end meal i've ever had you're gonna have to remind me on the name of it it was in uh osaka street food they make the 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 balls with the octopus in it it's oh, um, okonomi okonomiyaki yeah that yeah that in osaka in osaka just there's so much amazing street food in Osaka and you just like to walk around and you're like, ooh, what is that? Ooh, what does that smell? Ooh, yeah. that's amazing. And it was the first time I had ever had that. And these just little, they're just like frying the balls. They're filled with like, I don't even know what's in there. It's like, it's octopus, obviously, but there's some sort of creaminess in there as yeah. well. Yeah. Creamy balls. It's like a batter. Yeah, creamy, creamy balls. There, there you go. So, the third book. <laughs> creamy balls with octopus. <laughs> like, Paul really lost his way after Italian cocktails. <laughs> it, just, it was all just testicle related titles. That's, I think that's my number one because it, 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 it just blew my mind. It was so good. Favorite drunk food? Uh, favorite drunk food is a bacon-wrapped hot dog. Really? Yeah. Um, interesting. I don't think... I don't know that I've ever actually had one. Oh, I've man. walked by and I've, I've, I've followed the siren song. Like, it, you know, it, it definitely uh, takes over a street after a sporting event it's so in good. L.A. It's so good. I want to... Yeah. And, like, my goal is to find the one guy or girl who's... Ika guy is the bacon wrap hot dog. <laughs> the Giro. <laughs> I wanted the Giro of the bacon wrap hot dog. Giro dreams of bacon. Yeah. It, it took me 75 years with a monk <laughs> to learn exactly how to wrap the bacon. The pig in a very specific way. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a child, my father <laughs> took me to slaughter my first pig. Um, what is your favorite hangover cure? Uh, I don't know if I have one because I, basically as I've gotten older in life, I... I make it a point of taking a lot of Advil before I go to bed. Yeah. Like I just do. And I don't really have those hangovers as badly anymore. But uh, I don't know. That's probably just just like really deep fried eggs or you know something just like greasy. You know, it's funny. I, I don't know if you remember this, but I totally bamboozled you into giving me my hangover cure once. Oh, you're right. Because my favorite or one of my favorites is a pasta carbonara. And I woke up so hungover. And I, I called, I texted you or something. And I was like... 
I totally bamboozled you. I was like, how do you make a carbonara? And you like told me how to do it. And I was like, oh man, uh, can you teach me? Like, I, I like really, I don't know if I could do it on my own. And you're like, yeah, I have some guanciale actually. I'll come over. I was like, oh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> you came over well, and I was like sitting on the couch. I was like, yeah, just make it and bring it over here. You're like, I thought you wanted to learn how to make it. I was like, no, 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 it's okay. You can go make it. <laughs> well, also in prelude to that, you did a video of making like the worst looking carbonara i'd ever seen in my entire yeah. life you literally had like noodles with scrambled eggs and it was like what are you doing still and not so, awful yeah still not still awful still not awful but yes that was a good that was a good carbonara i made that day oh it was the best yeah it was wonderful um who is your favorite celebrity food personality it's phil yeah yeah so phil rosenthal if you don't know uh is the creator of everybody loves raymond and has his own netflix show called somebody feed phil former and, guest on green eggs and dan and uh and just a lovely human being. And I've had the pleasure and opportunity to have, I don't know, at this point, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of meals with. And I got to go when he shot his show in Santiago, Chile, and I got to write about it. And, you know, I always comp- I always compare him to Bourdain and everyone thinks I'm crazy because I'm just like, they're nothing alike. And in a way, they're not. What you saw on TV was who they are. Yeah. And that's, I've said that too, by the way. I don't know if I'm stealing from you or you're stealing from me or we're just great minds thinking alike. I think we're great minds thinking alike. And that he's like the most authentically himself. Yeah. And so yeah. like when you hang out with Phil, you're like, you realize that he's exactly what you see on TV, which is this really lovely, caring human who just wants to like meet people and see what people are doing and like and and just like celebrate experts at at cool things especially in the food world and i just you know there's so much like you know i hate like food competition shows and i hate like uh, except for raid the fridge except for raid the uh. fridge um but I, I don't like pitting people against each other and his entire ethos is like not that yeah and so it's if you just want to like feel good for a half an hour or an hour uh just watch his show and he's a boomer and he's like Mr. Rogers with food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some people, maybe that's off-putting for you. But I, you know, and, and maybe I'm biased because I'm friends with him at this point. But mm. I just think having seen it, I mean, I've just seen crazy things with him happen where people, you know, they tell him, they're, you know, they change, they change his life. I was just in Vegas with him a few weeks ago uh, just for one night. And uh, we couldn't find an Uber. And some random Uber driver was like, hey, you want to hop in my Uber? This is what it'll cost. You can just pay me cash. And we're like, yeah, fuck it. Okay, we're either going to get robbed or this is a good deal. Yeah. And as we're in the car, you could see the Uber driver looking in the rear view mirror at Phil. And he goes, "He goes, you know, you look a lot like that guy, Phil. And Phil looks up and he goes, oh, no, I'm Phil. And the guy, like his floor dropped. And he was this like really sweet little Filipino driver. And he's like, he's like wait, wait, what? You're, you're Phil? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm Phil. He goes, do you know that I'm in remission for cancer, but like during my treatments at three in the morning, I would watch your show and your show got me through it. Wow. And I have stories like that with him where I've been with him where this happens. And I'm just like, what is ha-? And it, it's so like you just melt yeah. from something like that. And I just, he just brings this level of positivity that I think is so infectious and I love it. So he's my guy. You know, it's funny. Whenever people ask me like, who's your favorite comedian? I feel like the standard issue answer for a lot of comedians is you have to say Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, or Bill Burr. And I love those guys, and I think they're great. But without fail, my number one answer is always Conan O'Brien. He's so uplifting. Because he's so uplifting. He's positive. He's goofy. He's fun. And you're like, it doesn't always have to be comedy about you know your tortured life. Like, yeah. In fact, we, most comedians, you have that tortured life, whatever you want to call it. Your job is to 
in my opinion, a lot of times, put that to the side so that you can be the clown. And I think that Conan O'Brien does that so well. And Phil Rosenthal is very similar in that I do think that food culture has gotten way too serious and takes itself way too serious and has become mean and mean-spirited. And, yeah, I hate that stuff. And he is, like you said, he's an antidote to that. So I'm with you. Anyway, Phil, can you invite me to one of your fancy dinners? Because um, <laughs> uh, it would be nice. Desert Island food. You're trapped on a desert island. One food you're never going to get tired of for the rest of your life. So let me ask you a question. Okay. Is it desert island or is it deserted island? What's the actual expression? Are you giving me a gotcha question? <laughs> yeah, I'm asking you On a gotcha. my own podcast? That's right. Because like, <laughs> but what is it? Is it deserted or is it desert? Um, Italy Cocktails is the book. <laughs> An elegant collection of over 100 recipes inspired by Italia. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is it Desert Island? I've been saying Desert Island for 400 episodes. Is it desert or deserted? I'm sure it's it can be either one. Desert was... Island uh a desert island, deserted island or uninhabited island is an island islet or atoll that is not permanently populated by humans. So Wikipedia says it can be any of them. Okay. Just curious. Asshole. You were trying to fucking gotcha me on my own just, podcast. I'm just curious. You were like so I, excited for I it. I didn't know the answer. You even told your wife, you're like, I'm going to get him I'm at, get at one hour, one. eight minutes. <laughs> I, so, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lull him into this comfortable space where he thinks we're just best friends talking. And then I'm going to just fucking pull the rug from underneath him, his deserted island. So I think it's sushi. Okay. I think that's my answer. And the reason it's sushi is because you have a million different types of fish. Yes. So you'll never get bored. Like That's true. So many different types of fish and different types of rice and you can you can experiment and I just think it's just the well, it's such a great diverse. I'm going to give you a fucking gotcha question. Okay, hit me. You get one nigiri. You cannot get all these different types of fish. Now what? Well, it's it's probably just bluefin tuna belly like like, tuna belly? I'd get tired of tuna belly real quick. So it's fatty. so fatty and hard. It. That's oh. like having A5 Wagyu as oh, your desert island it. food. You'd survive three days. <laughs> well, it'd be a hell of a three days. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, one of my favorites um, was, uh, I don't actually know what the, you know, I should probably look this up. I was in Indonesia and butterfish was on the menu. Mm-hmm. I don't know what butterfish is, mm-hmm. but it was, it's a white fish. You can look this up. It was like that bluefin where it just melts in your mouth and it was so good i i I don't i wish i knew what it was butterfish also known as american butterfish atlantic butterfish dollarfish shiner skipjack sheep's head oh maybe it's skipjack actually Um, they look very they look like small like you know silver dollary yeah really great very cute really really great cute little fish yeah so Um, there you go fatty tuna (laughs) <laughs> fatty tuna <laughs> I, I tried to do this endangered bit. species fatty tuna <laughs> i tried to do this bit on stage i need to perfect it but something about how i like going to sushi places because they're so body positive <laughs> they're like do you want to get the regular tuna or do you want to splurge for the fatty oh you know you want that fatty tuna <laughs> we got the best fattiest tuna and then someone at the end of the someone at the end of the counter was like, "You can't say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't shame that fish." I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a body positive tuna. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what that fish will look like in shapewear. <laughs> um, what food 
Is there a food you can't stand eating? Yeah, onions. I, what are you talking about? So the onion to You've me... You've just discredited your whole, this whole last hour. Well, there's no real onions in like like traditional Japanese food or in traditional uh, Italian food. So like you don't get a lot of onions. What are you talking about? Genovese pasta sauce I, is yeah. literally 10 times know, more I onion than meat. I know, I can't eat it. So a couple of reasons. One, Hold is on. That, I want an apology for saying for you were mansplaining me and saying there's no well, it's not, onions. There's none. It's just, it's just not a lot of it. It's just a, there's just not a lot. And two reasons that I like those two those, those two countries. So they both don't use a lot of onions. These two countries are both like, why are you so obsessed with us, dude? Relax. I know. <laughs> they don't like onions there, so I don't like onions either. Uh, so the onion. This is going to be the Jewish part of the pro, of the podcast. Okay. Gives me a massive amount of acid reflux. Okay. Cooked raw, whatever. It just like it hits my body in a way. <laughs> that like a volcano erupts in my in my esophagus right. and it sucks and I hate it. And then combined with that, I, I've never really thought the flavor was all that interesting. Are like, you crazy? Yeah, like a, maybe a I'm crazy. Caramelized onions to me yeah. is like the best flavor of anything in life. Yeah, I can't do it. Like Sorry. a caramelized no. onion tart. So like if I'm on the job, I'll eat anything you put in front of me because it's my job. Like I I can't I can't be a food reviewer and write about write about it if I don't try it and I don't eat it. So I can't say I've never had an onion that I've that I've haven't liked it's it's happened but for the most part it destroys my body and i don't really like the flavor and it's really it's like the after flavor that just stays with you and i was like i can't do it no last question dan yeah. dude's favorite question as you know because you are a you're a, a super fan super fan uh what is or what are your restaurant pet peeves so i have a few but i think my number one recently and i've really noticed it a lot recently is when the waiter just can't read the room so we could be in this amazing engaged conversation i'm in like in the middle of this amazing anecdote or you are mm. and we're like going back and forth and it's super fun and it's just like hey yeah good? yeah like yeah yeah we're good i'll like I, it drives me and, and it always happens at the worst time they don't just not reading the room properly i think is a is one of my biggest pet peeves at the moment i call it the double dutch theory okay you know in double dutch you have to time exactly when to jump into those those jump ropes and a good server, it comes to your table like he or she is jumping into double dutch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some of them just like run into the jump ropes. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's just a, knock the whole it's a tangled mess. <laughs> People are falling. It's just a disaster. Yeah. Again, I'm gonna make a, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make my recommendation, which I, I've been saying it probably every episode of the last ten episodes. Big fan of the Korean button. Oh, Every restaurant God should have bless, the Korean button. God bless the Korean button. The Korean button, man, needs to jump the shark to different cultures. <laughs> Can I give you one more, real quick, please? Because I've noticed this a lot more recently. Is that I don't, and this goes for hotels. This goes for a lot of things where there's multiple items that are like priced separately. So you get the service fee and then the other fee, mm, and there's like a, the there's lodging like, fee. Yeah, there's the, like extra lines of like fees that I. Just whatever you're charging me, add those fees in so I don't have to like psychologically see them. If you're going to charge me $25 more for a thing, just bake it in so I know going in that that's what I'm paying. Yes. I don't want to see all the extra stuff. Yeah. It drives me fucking crazy. The health and wellness fucking thing. Great. Just charge, just charge 25 it. cents more per dish. I don't give a shit. Just whatever it takes to like take care of your staff. I want you to take care of your yes. staff. Yeah, just charge, the, just just put it in. Don't put that on me, asshole. Because then it's like the end of your meal is like one of the. You feel like that moment, you know, when you walk out of a Whole Foods and the idiots there with the clipboards, like, do you want to save the dying children? It's like, ah, oh, 
I want to keep walking, but I don't want you to think that I don't care about the fucking dying children. But I don't want to stop. And it's now the, it's the same thing. You get your bills. Like, really? You're not going to give the 5% wellness? You know that our, our dishwashers, kids, kidneys don't work anymore. I can't wait till your friends on like the city council like write you after this and be like, you know, like legally they have to do that. Like we put a law in that says you have to show the, the customer what it is they're paying for. Ugh. And it's like, it's like, all oh, right. It's a dumb law. Ugh. I'm sure there's a law that says that they have to like lay it out for you in every little detail. It's like, all right, I don't care about the transparency. Oh, Just charge take me away the stupid law and give me the Korean button. That's right. Just that's give me it. the. <laughs> Just give me the. That's gonna be. That's gonna be the title of my next memoir. Give Just, me the Korean Just button. give me the Korean for button. everything. Yeah. For everything. 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 Uh, you know who else has a Korean button? The president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> It must be confusing in Korea because every button is a Korean button. You're like in an elevator. There's like 30 Korean buttons. <laughs> it's like my, my joke about like, what do you call like fine China in China? Hmm. Plates. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Just plates. Yeah. It was, uh, it's funny. I was, this is very random, but I was, I was just in Egypt, as you know, and every morning I'd get Turkish coffee and, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I was like, can I get the Turkish coffee with a little milk? And he goes, oh, so a French coffee. I'm like, you guys call it Turkish coffee with a little milk, a French coffee? He's like, yeah, it's a French. Turkish style, Turkish coffee, French style. I'm like, it's so fun. Every coffee drink just like has to do with whatever culture like got it. It's like the Americano, the this, the that. Anyway, tangent. This is the problem with me and Paul. We can go on for fucking days and tangent away. Uh, which is also why I love you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. This is such a treat. I've been listening for such a long time, and I'm so thrilled that you. I had a reason to be, uh, yeah, to be, uh, you know, a the best guest reason. on your podcast. The best reason. I'm sure you'll be back. And again, I could not recommend this book anymore. I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. It was one of those things where it's like whenever people come to my shows for the first time, like friends, and they're like, I was so nervous that you were going to suck because then I have to like <laughs> pretend like you didn't suck. Anyway, same thing with your book. I was so nervous it wasn't going to come out great. So I'd have to like do that fake like, oh, no, it's great. But it is great. It's fucking perfect. I'm very proud of you. Thank and you. everyone should pick up a copy. Thank you, Paul Feinstein. Thanks, Dan. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.